Yeah, that was it. I think my A goal was to, um, uh, I, th I think it was to go under 10 days and I just, yeah. And then the B goal was break Damien's record. But I soon realized that breaking Damien's record is an A goal in itself. And I think the other's an A plus. <laughs> yeah, I'd stepped out my Zen a couple of inches. <laughs> so in the process, I pulled my right quad. Um, and I know Scott Jurek did this. So that gave me um, the, what's the word? Hope that you can continue and heal on the move. That first marathon made me believe that whatever I wanted to achieve in life was possible as long as I applied myself and worked for it. You can achieve it, not just me, but anybody. Hey guys, welcome back to the Christian Ultra podcast for a new episode. Today's going to be a little bit different. Um, I just two weeks ago set a new fastest known time on the 630 mile southwest coast path beating Damien Hall's record by just over three hours. And so before I set out on this adventure, I asked a Darren and Finn to come on to my show um, and interview me if I set the record. So today's show is a Darren and Finn interviewing me. Uh, for those who, who of you who don't know a Darren and Finn, um, a Darren Hand is the writer of three, uh, the author of three books, including Running with the Kenyans, uh, The Way of the Runner, and more recently, Rise of the Ultra Runners. So um, he's a pretty interesting, intellectual, cool dude. I really like him. He also has a podcast as well. That's where I first um, had the idea for him to come onto this show and interview me. So, guys, without further ado, um, uh, please enjoy um, the interview with a Darren and Finn and me um, about the Southwest Coast Path. Hello, Christian. Nice to talk to you. Uh, when did you first get the idea uh, to run the Southwest Coast Path? And, and what was it about that run that attracted you? So this year I was meant to be going out to the um, Appalachian Trail uh kind of summer sometime probably around june and then due to everything happening and stuff in the world with you know the current situation i had to look elsewhere for another kind of challenge and uh and what really attracted me was britain's longest national trail the southwest coast path so i guess um that um actually came into action in my thought process i guess around april time yeah um so yeah april yeah so just simply because it was the longest trail it was there was nothing about cornwall and devon and the wild winds and and, and any of that it was just you just that, the longest trail is that right <laughs> that came afterwards so um yeah. when i uh researched the trail, yeah definitely the, what came um what appealed was the longest trail you know yeah. something uh, I didn't want to do anything too short because I'd been mentally preparing for a 2000 mile plus trail. So right. I think that, you know, it definitely appeals to the fact it was good stretch over 500 miles. And, um, but yeah, then all the attraction of the wind, you know, that's something that you just mentioned came after when I researched by speaking in depthly with uh, Mark Berry, who set the record in 2015 at the age of like 55, that really, um, 
was a pretty impressive record. So all, all the romance of the trail came afterwards, but yeah, it was pretty just uh, shallow. Uh, that's the longest trail in the UK. <laughs> what about, what about, I mean, John O'Groats, the Land's End, you, you didn't fancy like doing a road thing. You wanted, you wanted trail. Yeah. Yeah. It didn't even occur to me actually um, to do that. Um, I think the only road, uh, like long run on the road that, appeals to me is that one in america called Badwater. oh yeah yeah um but as you know who knows as you get older and um, your ideas change and new ideas develop you yeah, never say never but um yeah definitely uh trail is my i guess preference yeah i don't know if you saw because dan lawson ran it recently and and uh, i just saw the pictures but he's running along you know on your carriageways right next to lurry's driving part i mean it's quite it's quite different to being up on the cliffs for days on end isn't it it's quite a different experience it, it is different and to be fair actually i just remembered i do have a little bit of experience because i do um some online run coaching and one of my clients was running john O'Groats to land's end and i helped him out on the last few days when he'd run himself into trouble and i have a camper van and i drove it down and i met him and uh i was with him on some of the stretches you're right. It was just on country road. It was pretty dangerous. I'm not taking anything away from that race or the record of the actual adventure of the challenge. But my experience with Calvin was being on a road on the nighttime round country lanes. And I thought, oh, this is actually scary and a bit dangerous. Yeah. Yeah. I can imagine. It doesn't appeal to me in any shape or form. But uh, also, so, so once you decided to do the Southwest Coast Path, you obviously then look up the record you see the record and you do some calculations what were your thoughts you thought oh this this record i can beat this record or let's just see what happened i mean how tough did that record seem to you on on, on the face of it well the um appalachian trail a lot of the i did compare the, the um record in relation to what i'd intending to set out to achieve and uh Carol Sabay holds the record on the Appalachian Trail at 50, an average of 53 miles a day for 41 days. So this um, I worked out to, unless I got my calculations wrong, an average of 57 miles a day. Um, and I thought, uh, yeah, it is, it, is, it is more, but it's not ridiculously more. Um, and it was held by uh, Damien Hall. So I... You know, I, I, I definitely set out there with the belief, no matter how much or how big that belief was, that I could do that. But what I did was I made sure I posted, posted publicly on the fastestknowntimes.com my BCD, EF and G goals. So I definitely put it out there that I had other things to reach for if I didn't um, achieve what the, the A goal, you know. Right. So, but you got the A goal. So the A goal was just to beat the record and and that was and, and that's what you did so yeah that was it i think my a goal was to um uh I, th I think it was to go under 10 days and i just okay yeah and then the b goal was break damien's record but i soon realized that breaking damien's record is an a goal in itself and i think the other's an a plus <laughs> yeah because i mean i you know i'm not in your caliber of runner but i i run on this i mean i live in devon so i run on this coast path quite often and because when damien i hadn't done that much when damien did his attempt i actually ran for him with him for a bit and uh i remember at the time being not really a, an ultra runner at that point 
I was just thinking, well, this is really slow. This is quite, you know, <laughs> yeah, he was walking. He was with Mark at that point still. And I just thought, God, it's not, it's not such a big deal. But that, and then, then I go and try and run 20, 30 miles on the coast path and I'm completely floored. And every time I run on the coast path, my thought has always been, I have renewed respect for Damien's record. Well, now it'll have to be renewed respect for Christian's record. <laughs> but yeah. it is, it is tough, that trail. With that, with, I mean, maybe not all of it, but a good 80, 90% of it is constantly up and down and up and down. It, it, I just, I'm just telling your listeners, it's seriously yeah. tough. <laughs> yeah, no, you're right. And I think it's a really interesting point you raised there um, about the transition from kind of road running to trail running, even without the Southwest Coast Path. When I got more serious into trail running, you, you had to basically let go of a couple of minutes per mile, you know, um, to, to, and, and it's, you know, it's definitely um, a lot slower moving because there's obstacles to go around or over like rocks and, and, and roots and then obviously undulation, undul undulation as well. So yeah, it's a pretty tough course, but actually that kind of plays in my favor because um, I, I like that mind engagement. So with road right. running, I find that you can actually kind of like look up at the horizon and run forward and then turn left and turn right. And I do like road running still a little bit. <laughs> but um, with trail running, if you look up for too long, you're going to fall over. So you constantly have to look where you're placing your feet. And I find it a real mind engaging sport. So for mm. that, for that reason and then when you have an uphill you're using different muscles going up coming down again vice versa different muscles going down so i really like the variety the way you use your body over trails and hills and mountains in comparison to road where it's there's a lot of repetitive movement yeah this is this is interesting because i i often think like people who walk in the landscape for example walk in the mountains or walk on a coast path like that They'll say, you know, if you're running, you're not taking it in. You know, if you walk, you, you take it in. But I always think you engage in a different way with the landscape when you're running. And I mean, how you think that's true? I mean, you think you're still taking it in or you think you're just kind of mindless to the to the actual beauty of it? Or, or you're somehow still absorbing that? No, definitely. There's Scott Jurek got uh, comments when he was doing his northbound Appalachian Trail about, um, you know, just, you know, slow down and take in the view. But. Uh, yeah. So there are those comments and, and, you know, what people might say, oh, what, what's the rush? And I think when I was out there, I definitely found my um, senses being heightened, like my, my, my sense of smell uh, became more increased. Um, so it may be that, you know, I could smell somebody because of their perfume or the aftershave way before I see them. Um, and that doesn't sound really that impressive, but, uh, you know, I, I, I may, uh, smell a certain, uh, uh, tree or, or, or something. And, or, you know, my, my sense has definitely improved and that's because I was out there all day and my appreciation wasn't the less it, you know, just cause I wasn't walking. I mean, eventually I think the be the more experienced you become at running, you can actually almost switch so you're switching onto the rocks you have to tread around and move around. But at the same time, um, it, you're almost like when you drive a car, you're not consciously changing gears or yeah. maneuvering the vehicle. And I think the more experience you come with trail running, 
you're not conscious consciously stepping over a rock it's almost subconscious so you are able to appreciate your surroundings in my opinion as much as a walker it's just my opinion though you know yeah i, I mean i imagine you kind of almost merge with the landscape in a way you become part of the landscape rather than an observer of it is is you get that sense particularly yeah. after that amount of time yeah I, d I definitely started to feel part of things um you know and then when i did go into uh, because the Southwest Coast Path does pass small towns and so on. Um, and uh, yeah, when I'd go into a town, I guess it depends on the town, but some of them were more picturesque than others, you know. Uh, but but um, yeah, I definitely uh, felt, uh, suddenly I felt like this disconnect and, and, and I couldn't wait to get back to the ocean on my left, the rocks yeah. under my feet, you know, the wind in my face. And uh, um, yeah, I do agree. There is a connection. Um, and that's one of my draws to the sport for sure. Yeah, it must have been strange turning up in a town with like people having ice cream and chips and and like, probably looking at you slightly, you know, questioningly as she, she struggled by. I mean, I can imagine that was quite a surreal experience. Yeah, there were some funny times when I went through. Um, I guess I guess they're like like seaside towns where there's a lot of people. Um, there because of the ocean and it was really interesting actually i went through one town i forget the name but a lot of the youth were um okay so in london the youth will walk around parks or spend time on their phones or i don't know go to clubs but a lot of the youth were coming to this ocean and spending time like swimming and and playing with their mates and definitely the attraction was to be a so i i mean even though we we're in, i was in britain and you know i definitely felt a different sense of culture uh, experiencing just running around the edge and yeah it was it it was my story so because my approach to helping time pass um without observing it was to really just engage in my surroundings so if i was on a really remote section um then you know my story or my interest would be the, the, the i don't know a sunrise or looking out for seals but when i did come into one of these kind of towns my interest would be on the culture and, and the people. So it, it did all help uh, with the process of kind of moving forward for such a long time. Yeah. Did you have much interaction with people? Did people comment or did you stop and talk to people? Or I, I, I had to interact with, I had to be the instigator because uh, it really helped pass the time. So, you know, you kind of start to lose your, in a good way, like your social inhibitions when you're out and you're experiencing that kind of endurance. Like, I think it's because your endorphins are high. I mean, I had pretty good weather. Um, yeah. It was beautiful and sunny, blue skies. And when I was out there, I did find myself just randomly saying good morning to people and engaging more with them, like making silly comments um, to make them laugh, to make me laugh. Um, and it really helped and really picked me up and that's one of the strategies i used to just uh get around was just uh just engage with people and yeah. you got a good good response most of the time presumably yeah all the time you know I, I definitely got people i guess um you know um I, I didn't stop it was kind of passing comments you know yeah. i remember i went to uh past two elder ladies and i i think they were sitting there and i said because I was pretty dark by then. I said, you want to see my wrists? I, I've got two white lines. That's my true color. I mean, how silly is that? It's not even funny, but 
you know, it was just, and it made me laugh. It made, and then it made them laugh. And then suddenly the next 10 minutes, you know, if I had any tiredness in my legs, it's gone. So you've got this kind yeah. of joy flow through you. Yeah. Almost. yeah. Did you, uh, <laughs> oh yeah, I was going to say, did, uh, I forgot what I was going to say there. Did people, uh, cause I, I can imagine even sometimes when I'm out running, people say, oh, you're running far or how, how far are you running or that kind of thing. Uh, yeah. I mean, that must have been quite a bizarre comment. You know, oh, yeah, I started in in pool. Oh, you were finishing. Yeah, I started in pool. <laughs> I was like, they were like, what? <laughs> <laughs> no, I did have that. I remember when I was out because I helped. Um, I was invited. I met um, Car- Carol Bay in the desert in 2016, I believe, in, at Marathon de Sables. And we got along really well. Um uh, so well that uh, he, he told me about the Pacific Crest Trail. Carol has the, the fastest known time for that. And he told me he was going to go out to the PCT. And later on, I saw on Strava that he got the record. So I congratulated him. And it was the first time I'd contacted him since Marathon de Sables. And uh, he just said, well, hey, I'm going out to America again to go for the, I think at the time it was Scott Jurek's record on the Appalachian Trail. He said, would you like to come along and pace? I said, yeah, that would be great. And uh, so I went with him. Um, and what I noticed was when we were out, I was with him for 15 days, quite a big stretch, like a third of the, the distance. And when we were out and people would ask the question, oh, how far are you running? He yeah. would kind of not really tell them the whole story and just say, oh, yeah, just to the next town. Or, oh, we just started from the town behind. He would never say, oh, I've just run, I don't know, 800 miles and I'm running another 1,300. So I took the opposite approach. I was like, okay, I'm, I'm running a long way. Let's just tell people. Yeah. Know? So people were like, oh, where'd you start today? Or something, I think on day one. And I was about 60 miles in and like, yeah, pool. You know, people's jaws dropped to the floor. I can imagine. Like, Are you serious? And, and, and you do feel a little bit, well, I felt a bit proud. I was like, yeah, I got here by my own two legs, you know. And, yeah. and again, it was just more engagement with, with more background on my behalf, exposing my story. So I, I didn't mind that. I really didn't mind it. Yeah, I, I think I would do the same. I was wondering why Carol wouldn't do that. He was just being a bit modest, was he? Or... Yeah, I, th- I think, yeah. So I'm not the best um, psychoanalyst, but I, <laughs> I do have a good old go. And um, I was with him for long enough. And I think what it was, was... Uh, when Carol um, and I first joined each other on his day 11 and my day one, um, he'd done like 550 miles by then. He said, Christian, could you not mention how far we've run or how far we've got to go or what time it is? Or, and, and it just helps me be more in the moment. And I was mm-hmm. like, yeah, man, I'm good with that. I'll, you know, I really appreciate that. And in fact, it became, I also enjoyed not looking at the distance and so on. So I just think it was his way of being more in the moment and not, I mean, it's quite daunting, I guess. Uh, That was my um, interpretation. He could have other reasons, but that's what I thought. Uh, That makes complete sense. Yeah. I know that feeling of of freaking out when you think how far you've got to go still. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I met you earlier this year. No, it wasn't this year. It was 2018. Uh, when you did your UTMB, because I did it the same year. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. Right. You probably did it a lot quicker than me. <laughs> well, actually, that leads me on nicely to the next question. Okay. The next, the next day, at the uh, after the UTMB, I'm walking around Chamonix with my uh, <clears throat> finishers gilet on. Yeah. Some guy comes up to me and he says, uh, "Oh, you know, 
how did it go? And I, and I tell him the story about how I nearly dropped out. And I was with my wife at the time. I said, but she wouldn't let me drop out. She told me, you know, you have to keep going. And he turned to the woman with him, who was an older woman, and he said, see, this is what you should have done to me. <laughs> and it turned out it was his mother, right? Yeah. And, and so I've always told this story, never have your mother as your crew, because the minute you start suffering, she's going to be protective. She's going to say, no, stop. You know, you don't need to do this. Don't worry about it. I still love you. You know, sit down. Yeah. But uh, so you're the first person I know who's, who's done quite well with your mother as your crew. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, I mean, presumably she's not like that. Presumably she's not overprotective in any way, shape or form. <laughs> You know, it's such a um, funny situation. I've looked at all the past record holders and some of them have had their fathers out. A lot right. of them have had their spouses out, uh, whether it's husbands or wives. Um, uh, but no one's actually had their mother out. <laughs> right. and I could, that, that was always my story. Your mother's not going to not going to push you she's going to say stop but yeah she you know what um i have to give her credit oh wow that's a loud knock one second okay um yeah yeah nice one thanks man okay i'm coming back um yeah i have to give her credit that she definitely drives me uh, to be, I guess, a better version of myself um, because uh, definitely you have to have someone, your support has to drive you. Like that day that you wanted to give up, if your wife wasn't there, the chances were you probably would have given up, you know, unless someone else was there who would have driven you forward, but left on your own devices. Whereas other people can tend to kind of, get a little bit more out of us than we can ourselves. And I'm pretty good at rinsing out, you know, um, the, what I believe is the best of myself. But I think my mother can get that micro twist of the sponge to get one more drop out because, um, yeah, there were times when I just eventually did kind of switch off, let her do the logistical um, moves on against um, – uh, Damien Hall in terms of how far we had to go. I remember one day I came in and she said, right, okay, five more miles and we'll be good. And yeah. as far as I was concerned, it was the end of the day. And I didn't even think, I thought I just went into auto mode. I was like, okay, five more miles. I mean, she could see at some points I was, I was never like broken, but I mean, she must've seen I was tired. So yeah, I gotta say, uh, not every mother will, uh, I guess, want to mummy you and, and, and uh, dress your wounds. I think mom's, mine is one of those ones who kind of kicks you out the nest and gets you <laughs> to spread your wings. <laughs> yeah, yeah well, that, that's great. Uh, and uh, yeah, so, so as part of your story of crewing and everything, you must have been eating a lot. Was she like making you food or were you just snacking or what? Were yeah, you eating but... the run? Both, all, all of the above, uh, I would, so in order to, because I was waking up at 3.30 in the morning and I wanted to start by about 4 a.m. I, I took that um, tactic from Carol. That's what he did on the Appalachian Trail. Early start, early finish. Um, and, and that way you kind of have uh, a lovely sunrise to look forward to. You get this kind of renewed energy and then you've got three out, two, three hours already done and dusted. And then you can go again. So I took that um, tactic. But I also realized that my mother's not the best morning person. So 
on the night time, she prepared like a uh, kind of a oatmeal, you know. Um, I do like coffee in the morning, so she prepared a coffee, which I would have cold. So all my food for the next day was prepared on the night time. Um, so you'd get and up and you wouldn't disturb her in the morning, you just get up and go. Yeah, I mean, I would disturb because I would slide the rental van open and I'd say, yeah, bye, mum, love you. <laughs> see you later. And uh, she'd be all right. Okay, see you later. But then she could have another hour or drive on to the next point and have an hour or two because that right. first stretch I would do by myself would typically be three and a half, four hours, you know, right. um, three hours. And uh, yeah, so I'd start off with kind of oatmeal, porridge. Um, I wouldn't eat all of it. I'd have a black coffee. Um, I'd have a few snacks along the way snacks. I had to balance my snacks between salty and sweet because, right. um, like I said, the first four or five days were, uh, extraordinarily hot. Uh, and, and from the hours of 11 till 3 PM, it was a matter of, okay, I'm surviving the Southwest coast path. I'm not yeah. running it. And, uh, so I found that you had to, or I personally had to take a more salty, snacks to keep my um electrolytes balanced because uh, yeah. uh, i wasn't drinking any sports drinks it was just water and and that uh, so yeah a combination of i mean the list is huge i i ate chi yeah i'm i i i was a vegan for seven months uh, starting last year finishing this year um right. but th for this attempt i didn't want to have any restrictions i had salami cheese crisps chocolate um fruit cakes uh sandwiches you know uh tuna salads um are you getting any like strange cravings like halfway through the trail and like phoning ahead to your mum to see if you could get hold of them or anything like that yeah i think mcdonald's you know i don't know yeah. why but it, it, it you just want fat and salt um yeah. as the main thing i guess i craved you know right. um the more condensed the calories the better uh fuel so yeah right. Uh, McDonald's and she did adhere to that sometimes and I one time I remember I know it, it's probably not the best place in the world and I don't need it in my everyday life but yeah. I was in sheer joy running down the trail with a a, a quarter pounder and a, a, a strawberry milkshake and my friend Simon turned up it was heaven you know it really was yeah, it doesn't get better than that <laughs> I I just did uh I only did a short run by your standards like 25 miles the other day but uh I, I ran out of water answer. I ran out of water near the end and for some reason, I was dreaming of a San Pellegrino lemonade. I just couldn't get it out of my head. And I was just praying when I got to the shop, they had some. Because it's quite an obscure thing, really. But they had some in the shop. It was like heaven. <laughs> was uh, like, it, it is that fizz and that sugar and that cold. I bet you kind of drank the whole can in just one go or something. I did. And I went straight back in and bought a second. <laughs> <laughs> no, I get it. I, I totally get it. Um, yeah. <laughs> And so you said you were sliding open the door. So your mum was sleeping in the van. What were you doing? Sleeping under the van or outside the van? <laughs> My cousin did in Australia. He's a crazy guy. We, we, yeah, another story. That was a crocodiles on this beach and he slept under the van, you know, oh, crazy. Guy. No, um, I slept on an air mattress um, in a tent with a sleeping bag, uh, usually close to the van. You know, if there are some trees under the tree or something, I'd really like sleeping outside. Um, I actually uh, often in the in in the I often sleep in the tent in the garden. I, I really enjoy um, being outside. My mother is pretty amazing. So her name is Sharon Mullen. Sharon um, put a, a this is a rental van. She put a wooden frame inside of it, made a bed, 
you know, uh, put all these uh, drawers in there from Poundland or whatever it's called, and just created this pretty awesome F uh, support wagon. And she slept in the van, and I slept wow. outside. Wow. Uh, and you sleep all right? You sleep sleep fine? Uh, this, you know, it was like being anesthetized. You know, I'd, I would lay down. So my job when I got in was um, take off my watches, charge them, charge the tracker, uh, strip my clothes off, obviously, um, uh, eat uh, a meal, which I would often finish most of it, a camping meal. Um, and then lay down and shut my eyes and probably within 10 seconds I was completely out cold and uh, it, it you weren't you weren't taking anything for that that was just happening I said mom are you putting anything in this food you know because some days I had some serious energy I was like are you putting stuff in my food you know no I didn't take I did know I did speak to David Horton and I think I can't remember who else but they did have some kind of sleeping um mechanisms some tablets or something to help them right. sleep i didn't i i'm really not one to take many kind of tablets and stuff yeah. so uh, oh, you know i, I didn't i, I would have I thought perhaps you'd have been you know achy and you know legs were aching and might struggle to sleep but not not at all no it came afterwards that did i for four about four or five days after finishing my legs were just so just restless and anxious. Um, and, and, and every time I went to sleep, I would go into the same dream that I was on the trail and, I, and Damien Hall was beating me. And oh. I, was, I was just behind him and I had to just carry on a bit further. And then I'd wake up and, and it was so restless. But I'm so pleased that that came after the attempt and not during. During, the sleep was just on the last day. Um, so I averaged four and a half hours sleep each night. And on the last, on day 10, I knew I had to, cause I'd lost a bit of time on day nine. I had to do a big push and run a hundred miles in one go. I had a 30 minute power nap, um, on the nighttime of day 10. And I really felt as rested as I'd woke up from one of those four and a half hour sleeps. Something, something just worked out there. I think the fresh air really helps, you know, wow. rather I did get offered by my mother once she actually set the, 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 the bed up in the van. I was like, no, no, pull it out. I'm sleeping outside. I really don't want to sleep in the van. I don't want to be in that used recycled air. Um, Maybe that's the secret being in, being in the open air. Cause I, I can imagine a lot of people struggling to sleep, but then, maybe being outside is the secret to that kind of thing. Yeah, I really believe so. Um, on the Appalachian trail, I did a lot of, I did have a failed attempt at it last year. And after that we went and did a load of recon. Um, and on one occasion I slept in the van. It, it wasn't a van. It was a, um, it was a Dodge caravan. So it was just a, a big like uh, van, the car where all the seats lay down and you could like get two people lying in the back. And it was the worst sleep of the, the entire trip. So just in inside and all the windows were condensated it was so yeah for me sleeping outside is a thumbs up hmm. and presumably your mum had the tent up and the bed made and just like just like when you were a child yeah <laughs> well i tell you what it took about i'd say by day four my tent was up it got better and better and better as time went on day one i set my own tent up <laughs> at, my air mat. Her by surprise or she just hadn't realized that was part of the deal or what no, she knew it was part of the deal, but she had had trouble getting on these back roads to where I was finishing. Um, there was always something happening. It was never through being lazy or, or, or anything or 
unprepared. Yeah. It was something else cropped up. But yeah, by set my own, I think, tent up and my sleeping mat. Day two, I set my own tent up. Day three, uh, I think I just put my mat in the tent. And day four, it's there set up with the mat. And, it, and, and I think by day six, she had it so organized that I would get in. My uh, coffee would be in the tent for the morning, my food, my dinner for that night, a change of clothes for the morning. Uh, you know, it was like being a kid again. I was like, oh, thanks, mom. It, it actually <laughs> took a couple of days before I, well, I, I was still asking her, oh, can you just do this for me? And she was like, you better, you better snap out of that mind thought, Christian, because we're not on the train anymore. Yeah. Go and do it yourself. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine. Oh, that's great. So she was obviously learning, you know, she was learning what needed to be done as she was going along which is obviously makes sense you know yeah she had she adapted um amazingly and and the level of teamwork that we had because it is a team effort um you know i mean without my mother sharon i wouldn't have been doing this you know mm. um so uh i i liken it to uh, have you ever seen, I, I mean, I don't watch football, um, but I have watched a bit of basketball and sometimes the ball is going round the court with such effortless um, passing and, and so on. And then suddenly someone shoots a ball in the hoop or something. And the mm. level of, uh, I guess, the, the teamwork you have to have is of the highest. And it got to the point where me and my mother, I think, touched on some kind of really... Uh, um, high end teamwork because I would come in, I would feel good. I would elevate her. She would elevate me. We'd switch over race packs. I would go. It was great to see her. It was great to say goodbye and then on to the next yeah. one. So we did yeah. really um, start bringing our A game to this. Yeah. That's amazing to hear. Uh, one thing I wondered about uh, knowing, knowing the Southwest Coast Trail quite well, there's quite a lot of estuaries which need crossing, river estuaries. Yeah, uh, and I know they're quite probably most of them, but perhaps all of them have a ferry to cross. But you've got to obviously time it and not turn up too late and that kind of stuff. Was that was that all like carefully scheduled, or did you just get there and see what the what the scene was when you got there? Or yeah, definitely definitely the latter. Um, I mean, y y you can schedule, but you need to know how many miles you're going to do each day. Um, to, in order to arrive and and sometimes you just can't help arriving outside of ferry hours so i guess mm -hmm. the thing is we kind of had a rough idea what we would do you, you're right there are f f ferry crossings and and in that case when outside of ferry operating hours i would have to run down to the point at which um i would have jumped into the ferry run yeah. back to the van if the van can't drive down there get into the van we would drive all the way around and some of these drives i think lasted one hour yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. And then get to the other side. And again, you can't just start on the trial. You run down to the point you would have stepped out of the ferry. And we didn't plan this. And again, as time went on, we got better at it. But we did have an incident where someone crashed into the side of us and and left it, got out their vehicle while their vehicle was in connect, you know, touching the van and started a big argument. And I was like, no, you know, please <laughs> come on, let us go. <laughs> and um, Oh, it Did was you terrible. You, had, you were in a bit of a hurry. Well, that was the last thing we wanted to say because, you know, it was like, that. yeah, yeah, okay, you were speeding. And, and my mum's not in a hurry, but I was, you know. Yeah, but I tried to, on, on that long hour around, I definitely tried to take advantage of this is time I should be lying down trying to sleep. And yeah. it is, and, and yeah, I did get in this bed. And my mum's bed, she's 
she's like a lot shorter than I am um, in height. And uh, the, the, so I ended up having my um, legs bent. I couldn't extend them because she lay the width of the van. So um, yeah, that, that wasn't um, very nice uh, sleeping, but you, you have to take what you've got. And I think I did catch yeah. a few Z's. Yeah. Uh, like every, every ultra run and particularly one this long is going to have some low points. Uh, I you know don't want to dwell on the low points, but they were often quite significant moments in the run. I mean, what was your? Do you have a do you have a kind of lowest point that jumps out where things really were falling to pieces, or were you always on top of it? No, it's got to be. Uh, there were there are a few. I mean, I think with something like this, you do, and that's what makes it so rewarding. Uh, same with a hundred miler, or same with maybe someone who's running their first five k. I think it's relative. Um, but for me, after 20 years of running, I've pushed the boundaries, you know, right to as far as my biggest, longest run was the, um, tour of giants or tour de Gion in, uh, Valle di Aosta in, um, Italy, the Italian Alps, 200 miles, a lot of elevation. So that was my biggest chunk of miles in one go. So I have pushed the barrier further and further, my limits, my mental and physical limits. And I get, and this 630 mile run um, did again take the borders and carry them a long way and put them down again of my personal, my limits. And, and that happened several times, sometimes daily, um, every day till the end. Uh, so yeah, and those, and, and, and that's getting to the point where you feel you can't go on. I think the biggest uh, point where I thought it was all over was uh, I, I was meant to be doing a seven mile stretch from when I saw my mother in the early afternoon. Uh, so I didn't take a head torch because I would have met her well before sunset. Hmm. Uh, but it turns out that was actually more of a uh, 11 mile stretch along one of the most hilliest parts. So therefore I was out long after sun had set in the pitch black uh, amongst some of the most remote rugged parts with my um, iPhone torch. Right. right. And uh, yeah, that was okay. I, I'm not, I've got no problem with that. However, this was on day nine and as I was running down up till then I'd had little niggles, you know, some, a bit of chaffing, which came and went away a tight right hip flexor, sore feet a little bit, but then I hurt my right quad on a descent on day nine I mean, there was a lot of elevation, like you said, about 11,000 feet a day. And I felt it was more than a niggle. And I thought, oh, that doesn't feel good, you know. This was when um, you were with the, with the iPhone torch. Yeah. So you, and you couldn't quite see and you stumbled a bit, is that? And also I was going faster downhill than I really should have been because I was in, I was eager. I'd lost my, okay, let's descend gently and quietly and peacefully to, oh, I need to get down this set as fast as I can because I want to get back to where the meet point is. So I get my head torch because I don't want my iPhone um, torch to run out. And I was a little bit unnecessarily, I guess, panicked or not panicked, but just out of your zen state. Yeah, I'd stepped out my zen a couple of inches. (laughs) So in the process, I pulled my right quad. Um, and I know Scott Jurek did this. So that gave me, um, uh, what's the word? Hope that you can continue and heal on the move. Anyway, I made it back to the point where my, I should have met my mother. She was really worried because I hadn't come back long after sunset. So she had taken a ride with a photographer who was out 
to try to get some reception for her phone because she had no reception. Um, and some another photographer was out shooting the Milky Way because it was gorgeous out there. Came to me, said, right, the van's open. Your mother's gone with so-and-so to try and get reception. So again, I saw this as an opportunity. I needed to exploit it. Um, I'm not going to stand sitting here twiddling my thumbs. I'm going to lie down and go to sleep. So I lay down, went to sleep for about 20 minutes, woke up. And that feeling right there then, a feeling waking up, my mother knocking on the door. So one, the mistake of either her or me not taking the head torch, um, what really weighed heavily on my shoulders, to the pulling of the right quad because of the mistake. So there was a sense of blame inside of me and I was projecting it at my mother. The bad atmosphere because of my mental attitude towards her and the fact I just woke up, um, I said, right, uh, I'm not sure how this is gonna go, but I'll try and do two miles and let's see what happens. So she went on to the next point. Um, she was having her own problems and telling me how difficult the road was and she didn't know if she could get back up and I heard a wheel spinning up this road as I was heading off like the wrong way and one of the photographers shined his light up the trail I should have been going. So I, I was in a really bad place on the end of day nine. I got to um, two miles further down the trail and it was a matter of run limp, run limp so I said, okay, if I go to sleep now, I've got five hours and maybe my right quad will heal. Wishful yeah. thinking. Um, we had a big argument. Um, <laughs> she, she, no, the, the, the teamwork was not working at its best right then. It was more just real nasty, horrible. I didn't like the woman. She didn't like me. Uh, we went to bed. Storm off though, luckily, hopefully not. No, no, I stormed off to bed. <laughs> went to bed, woke up five hours later. We both must, we both woke up again, refreshed, rejuvenated, hugged, kissed, said sorry. And then I thought, right, I've got to do 110 miles or whatever it is now in one push um, with a leg that I don't have my full range of movement. Wow. And throughout the day, I used many tactics to achieve that. But that was my biggest obstacle. And overcoming that um, took my boundaries and kind of chucked them a real long way um, it, it, further than I thought I ever could imagine. So my biggest low was the fact I didn't think I could run a hundred miles without the full range of my right leg. Um, but I did. So that was my biggest low. Yeah. And I guess you had a, on top of everything there, you had a kind of time pressure as well at that stage. You, you know, there was no, we can make this back later. So it, yeah, I can imagine pushing through that was or maybe that helped in a way maybe if you could have maybe if you had two days you would have stopped and it wouldn't yeah. have worked i don't know no definitely i you know i mean it was what what helped was um it didn't take long i mean i wasn't like i was pretty i was back in my zen <laughs> place for yeah. the 100 miles i was we were doing the teamwork was flowing everything was good kind of knew we were going to get the record if we just carried on moving forward and um so I think having um, the fact that I, I asked uh, uh, Damien uh, what time he woke up and started on day 11 and he said he was camping with his kids. So for me, in my mind, I thought, OK, I have to use that to my advantage. That's soft. I'm not going to sleep, <laughs> you know. Yeah. So my advantage and my edge was, OK, I'm going to run all the way through, but I have that privilege because i'm going after a record and i know what the previous record holder did so i had that it's almost like playing cards and seeing the other person's hand 
at the yeah. same time. So yeah, that really helped me. And I think the competition does drive you. Uh, so I was driven by the, the, uh, the yeah. you know, the competition. Okay. Uh, and how did you feel after you got there? I mean, did you, I mean, maybe it's hard to put into words, but was it, were you elated or just, just relieved to be finally finished? Yeah, definitely both. Uh, you know, uh, it, it, I, I really thought I got to, I think I was 17 miles out from the finish. And I, I got to a point where I, my sister had joined me by then. She had done 40 miles with me, um, which is pretty amazing for a non, you know, runner and stuff. Um, she has run marathons, but she's not really into it. She's she just a marathon. <laughs> yeah, she's really tough lady. Um, but uh, I got I got to the uh, the van. I saw my mom. Um, I had 17 miles to go, and I must have been delirious because I said, "Okay, I don't need any food. I don't need any water, and you know, I can I I, I can I can sprint the last 17 miles. I'm good." Same like seven, after everything. <laughs> yeah, those 17 miles were the toughest 17 miles. And I thought, again, I wasn't going to make it um, because of I missed my mother at the last big stretch I would have to do before, like the last resupply before I had a 12-mile stretch. I, I needed to change my clothes. They were soaking wet. It was raining by then. I needed to eat and just carry on. So I got there. She wasn't there. It was an executive decision. I was like, okay, Steph, my sister, Stephanie, I'll take all your supplies and I'm going to carry on in wet clothes. And that... 12 mile stretch was the toughest stretch. I was delirious. Um, <laughs> I was again, slightly pissed off that my, my mother had missed me. I don't know why she had missed me, um, but I got through it. So yeah, I think my point is, is that it never got easier. It just got harder and harder. And then yeah. the funny part was on the last climb at the bottom, it says five miles to Minehead. Yeah. No, sorry. It says four and a half miles to Minehead. And there's this ridiculous climb. I mean, it's so steep. And you're going up and up and up and you're looking behind you and, you know, you, you could look, I mean, it, it was so steep. You get to the top and you've just seen the sign at the bottom that says 4.5 miles to Minehead and you feel good. And it says five miles to Minehead. <laughs> <laughs> at that point, you must think like someone's playing tricks on you here. <laughs> you know, it's just, it, it, I mean, yeah, I was laughing at the same time, but I thought this is just killing physically. It was really hurting by then. I was tired. My, I was done. And I knew that when I got to the monument at Minehead, you know, I planned my speech, you know, the 30 or so runners who would be there. In fact, it was just my mum ringing cacao bell. Um, <laughs> so I didn't bother with the speech. Um, I got <laughs> there and I knew... Press people weren't doing a good enough job then, obviously. Oh, you know what? It, it was a perfect ending. But, but I totally knew I wouldn't be able to cross the road like after I hit that, um, put my hand on the monument. And, and true to, to my thoughts, my predictions, I sat down, lay down on the base of the, um, this uh, Minehead monument saying it's the start because Minehead is the start of the Southwest Coast mm -hmm. Path. And like... After a while, I could start start smelling the dog pee, the dried dog pee, you know, because it's a, a, a thing and dogs pee up the side of signs and stuff. And I thought, oh, this place is not good to be sitting. Um, and I got up and I tried to, I knew I just wouldn't walk and I needed help across the road to walk to the van. And, and uh, yeah, so it was, um, it was a feeling of relief mm. and it was a feeling of accomplishment on the highest level in my personal life and my personal journey. Um, mentally and physically and it was a feeling of um, 
teamwork, like um, satisfaction in, in terms of not just myself on a solo endeavor, but, you know, I kept on saying to my mother and my sister, we've done it, we've mm. done it. So it was of the highest high and it was um, purely worth it. I mean, it's not just the feelings at the finish, obviously, it's the journey, but it was a wonderful finish. Was there any sense at all? I don't know why I think this might might be there, but any sense at all of like slightly disappointed that you've got to stop running <laughs> that you've got to or are you completely happy to stop yeah i i definitely i was happy to stop uh i know that thing about you know uh post expedition blues you know when you feel your journey's over and um i, I the thing is i i look forward so much to the things to follow the the recovery phase i'd, I'd envisioned in my mind um you know I kept on joking with people. I'm going to wear a robe and slippers for 10 days, you know, <laughs> afterwards. And, and I thoroughly enjoyed it. It was my father's birthday. Um, I didn't feel that. I didn't feel a sense of loss. I, I fully lived that 10 days and 10 and a half days to the max. And, and it'll be part of, of my um, experience in this life, you know, and, uh, uh, and, and, and I'm happy it's over. It was good. It, it, yeah. Yeah, no, no regrets. I guess we always imagine doing something like that uh, would change us in some way. Do you feel like it changed you in any way? Yeah, I mean, there's no, that for sure. Again, that thing of, you know, taking your limits, picking them up, moving them further, and then dropping them down. Because we all have limits and they're always going to be there. It's just the question is, is how far, how far, how big are our limits, you know, or how small? And, and I feel my limits, um, um, it's, it's, it's kind of hard to, to put it into words, I guess. I feel I've pushed the boundary of my limits further than ever before in anything I've ever done. So now you build on that. When I go to my next, whatever it is, challenge, um, I'm going to start with the base of it being the Southwest Coast Path and my limits will start at where I pushed. My limits will start at my boundaries. And I guess that's where the Appalachian Trail comes in next year. Um, so, yeah, I have changed. And it sounds like you feel like, in a way, I mean, if I'm, if I'm wrong, tell me, but almost somehow, like having that stronger, that bigger base almost gives you a, a kind of sense of strength or, or stronger potential, would you say? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, there's, yeah, there is that sense um, because you, you need that self-belief. I mean, it boils down to if you believe you can do it, I mean, in realistic terms, you know, you've put the time and the work in, you can do it. So that was a real big, um, real big, uh, you know, building of my self-belief and what was possible for me. Um, so, yeah, I have changed. And, and I, I think I've changed in other ways as well. I feel I've grown more patient and more understanding you know of the relationship with my mother because your relationship changes doesn't it with the person mm -hmm. that you're with we experience this together and you know uh i suppose you know children to begin with want a lot from their mothers or their parents and you know as you grow up and you become an adult you realize you want to try to give more to than take so you know i think my relationship will be more about giving to my mother and uh rather than trying to uh, take um, 
So I think I've become a man. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty cool. <laughs> yeah, man. How old are you, by the way? To start 43, with? actually. 43. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I don't know why I just suddenly wondered. <laughs> and so Appalachian Trail is on is on your horizon. Uh, that's quite a bit further. Is that Does that feel like a, another big step up? Or do you feel now that you've done this, it's just a kind of a small step onto the Appalachian Trail? No, it's a massive step. I mean, yeah, I did average, I think, 60 miles a day for this. Um, and to break the record on the Appalachian Trail, my friend Carol averaged 53 miles a day. So that's quite significantly less average distance per day there's a little bit more elevation on the appalachian trail each day um and and, and it is for four times the distance so i just set a 10 and a half day record this to break the record you were looking at around 40 something days 41 days so yeah it's four times the distance but it it, it it's less average each day so i think that's a huge mammoth undertaking but um I saw Carol enjoying himself, you know, and, and I really believe that what one person achieves, another person can also achieve. And if I can get out there and enjoy myself and things are working, I'm seeing my mother at the meeting points, I'm staying hydrated, eating food and, and, and really enjoying myself and hitting the daily targets. Yeah, you have to just wait to see what happens. And I'm not going to arrogantly say I can do this, but I'm definitely going to give it my best shot at, at get, having a go at it, you know, and put the work in. Yeah, I imagine that record is is probably tougher than the F, the Southwest Coast Path. I would imagine there's, I mean, the fact that Scott Jurek did it a while back and it's been broken twice since then, is it? Or once since then? Uh, so, twice, once by yeah. String Bean, um, the self-supporter, so yeah. self-supported, and then Carol as well. So, so, I mean, he was a pretty strong athlete in, in himself and that's just twice been broken but i think when damien did it he i mean he's a great athlete but I, he you know he 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 started off with mark didn't he that time i think and uh yeah. mark injured so it wasn't necessarily his perfect run so th this is quite you know are you going to so what i'm thinking is what's your do you have a obviously you're going to try and break the record but do you have a b goal which is like a certain number of days or to get the second fastest time or are you just focused on the record yeah, actually, yeah. Since Scott said it, sorry, um, Carl Meltzer broke it going southbound. Then Joe McConaughey, uh, String Bean is his trail name, broke it going northbound, self-supported. And then Carol Sabay. So it's been broken three times. And it's a significant chunk. It's five days. Carol took five days off Scott Jurek's record. Wow. I definitely will go in with um, all, uh, further goals to reach for because yeah. um, in life, um, you don't always achieve what you set out to. And when you don't achieve what you set out to, you've got options. You can either quit right there and then because you've had one goal or you can have a sliding scale. Um, and there's a female runner called Liz Anjos who was just out on the Appalachian Trail and she was being supported by Warren Doyle, who's an amazing fellow who's finished it 19 times. Mm. Um, and um, she was going after Carol Sabay's record, the overall record. She was trying to emulate what Jennifer Davis had done at one point was hold the overall record, regardless male or female. Mm. And uh, she fell off that record pretty soon. So then she, she, she uh, was shooting for the uh, female record. 
which was significantly slower, five days slower. And then she fell off that and she re and, and I've spoke to her and she said she really had to reassess and, and, yeah. and she decided what her sliding goals were whilst she was on the trail. And she said, okay, I'm going to carry on. And now um, she's ended up with the fastest supported northbound female um, record, which is pretty awesome, you know, and I think she's in the top 10 fastest ever. So what I'll do is I'll take a, um, I mean, I will have sliding goals, but I won't be deciding them on the trail. I'll know before I step foot on that trail, what will happen if I'm missing my targets. Therefore it won't be a decision. I don't want to be making too many decisions on the trail. I'll be like, okay, for some unfortunate reason, I'm now or actually still fortunate. I'm now going after this goal. So mm. I won't go out there with the one and only goal. And it is yeah, a tough record and it is tougher than the Southwest coast path because there's four times the amount of time things can go wrong. Um, but, uh, like I said, I think there has to be a part of you that believes you can do it. So yeah, I believe I can get the record. Will I get the record? Um, I don't know, but I'll give it my best shot. Well, it would be quite a, quite an adventure. I'm sure either way, either way. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and just, I know this is your podcast, so probably most people listening know all about you, but for just for anyone who's just tuning in, because I must admit, you know, I, I'm kind of, I'm not fully immersed in the world of ultra running as much as I was a few years ago when I was writing about it. So uh, I, when I when I saw quite near, probably about halfway through your run, you know, then started seeing messages that this guy Christian Morgan is, is, is on course for the record, he's going for Damon's record. Uh, yeah, I mean, your name kind of was a bit of a surprise to me. So tell us a bit about about Christian and where how how he got into ultra running, when he first got into ultra running, what kind of running he's been doing. Yeah, I guess a quick backstory is um, quick backstory. That's it. <laughs> yeah, I, I started off um, boxing uh, in the in the year two thousand, um, and uh, so twenty years ago uh, at my local boxing gym. At this time, I was living in Wolverhampton, right. uh, where I was born. Uh, I, I moved to Australia when I was a kid, uh, and, and then since then I've lived in also for a short time in Ethiopia and um, Italy. And anyway, I was I was in Wolverhampton in 2020, boxing training, and we used to run down to the local pub <laughs> as part of the um, training. And uh, one day the local paper advertised um, the Wolverhampton Marathon, and back in uh, 2000 you didn't need to register online you could just turn up on the day and run it at well fill out a form and run yeah. so I turned up uh, at my longest training run I wasn't training for a marathon I was training for boxing my longest training run was about four miles <laughs> and um, I thought marathon sounds good let's have a go so I entered for it and I think I finished in about four hours 46 minutes but I didn't walk that was for me the success of, of finishing that and uh and after that, I sat down, my mother was there that day uh, and we had a meal. And you know this thing about picking up your boundaries and, and chucking them far off into the distance? Mm. My, my self-belief and my, my, what I was capable of suddenly was shot in, it, it, out of what I couldn't even imagine. That first marathon made me believe that whatever I wanted to achieve in life was possible as long as I applied myself and worked for it you can achieve it, not just me, but anybody. And I never tapped into that before. I never realized that if, you know, I, I thought people were lucky, all right? I thought people um, just 
landed on their feet or it just went that way. But no, I realized that day that if you wanted to get somewhere and you headed in that direction with all the hard work that comes, you'll get there. So having that taste, it's not necessarily just about the running, but having that taste of self-belief led me to run um, more marathons. I started running uh, one or two each year for a couple of years. By the year 2015, uh, the start of the year 2015, I'd clocked up about 50 marathons in 15 years, which isn't my, many. And, and then I'd also started running ultras in 2009, um, which was an amazing step, uh, again, you know, further pushing my boundaries. But um, 2015, I saw the, started seeing these guys with the 100 Marathon Runners Club on. And I thought that looks oh, yeah. like a really cool club to be a part of. But the thing is that all these guys had in common was they were all in their 60s and 70s. And I thought, well, I mean, back then um, I was like in my late 30s and I thought, I want to join that club, but I don't want to be 60. Okay, right. 15 and 16, I'll run another 50 marathons. And by 16, I aim. So by the end of next year, I aim to be in the club. So what I did was I started booking marathons like on the weekend and, you know, looking just to clock the numbers up. Uh, loads of trail marathons, loads of ultras. And I managed to um, have Wolverhampton land as my, Wolverhampton was my first, and I managed to have it land as my 100th marathon. And that day I won the Wolverhampton marathon. Um, I think I got a PB of like 249. um, And it just felt really cool to, you know, have have set this goal and and achieved it. And, And so, from then on, I was a little bit like, that was a big goal. It took two years to arrive there, but almost like also 16 years, but fast tracked mm-hmm. the last two years of it. So I was like, where do I go from here? So then I started running more iconic marathons and hundred milers. Um, you know, I went to uh, 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 America to pace Carol Sabay. Uh, I, I ran Transvulcania, um, uh, Trans Gran Canaria in Europe, you know, so I got into mountain ultra by like say mm-hmm. 2016, 17. Uh, and once I got into mountain ultra, it's almost like a different sport. And, and, and I really enjoyed that. And, and I guess that brought me to today uh, where, you know, I spent time with Carol, saw someone achieve something, which from outside people looking in is impossible, but you realize that, okay, maybe that's possible. Maybe I can do that. And so I've taken steps yeah. along the way. It's a bit of, bit of a fast track story and it's just running. <laughs> but yeah, I guess that's my running history. And like, listening to that, I'm wondering <clears throat> if you have an inkling of what lies beyond the Appalachian Trail or, or do you take it one step at a time? Well, I know about... Because eventually you're going to do that and then, you know, you're going to keep wanting to push. Hopefully I'm just going to like levitate, float into the air and just, <laughs> just kind of be at what, and suddenly I'll, I'll be a leaf on a tree. I don't know. Um, no, I definitely, I'm fully aware that uh, <laughs> I'm fully aware that I think, uh, like, uh, early forties is still a good place for endurance. Um, and I, I was never really a competitive person. Um, and I have become competitive, uh, but I'm only going to use my shelf life of competitiveness. I, uh, and I did speak to one fellow. I spend the winters in Thailand usually because it's really nice and warm and uh, I like it there. And I met this guy and he, he, we were having a coffee one time in the coffee shop 
a really cool coffee, nice black Thai coffee. And I was sitting there and he had his running clothes on. He was about 75 years old. And I said, you know what it's like. You're having a conversation and the caffeine's kicking. And I said, I think time's running out for me to get a PB. And he, 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 he said, really? He said, okay. He says, I got a PB yesterday. What's a PB to you? <laughs> and I said, oh, you got a PB yesterday? He said, yeah, I did. I said, personal best, you know, the fastest you can run. He said, oh, he said, personal best to me is uh, the best I can feel. He said, as you get older, you'll realize you change your expectations of yourself and you shift them because with age, you slow down. So, yeah, I'm fully aware that um, I won't be uh, setting FKTs, <laughs> you know, all over the place. I do want to have a go at this, the, the Nat Appalachian Trail. There's a few other things which I've got on... Um, you know, in my mind, which are more adventure based and so on. But yeah, I do, I've got some things I want to do, but yeah, I don't see myself um, competitive, um, crazy for the rest of my life, you know, and, and just enjoying. Yeah, I think I, I think naturally you have to take that approach that PB should mean um, the way you, the, the best you feel. So yeah, I'm, I'm quite happy to, um, yeah. Head that direction. Yeah, that's, a, that's a lovely story. I like that. That's a, well, it's a brilliant place to end it on. So, uh, yeah. Thanks for sharing your story, Christian, and uh, good luck with next adventures. Good to talk Ad to you. Adarahan, it's been a complete pleasure, man. Um, yeah, it's been great having you interview me on, on the show. And, like, you know, if uh, whatever, you know, just let me know if you want me to come up. I know you've got a podcast. Uh, it, it, and is there anywhere you want to kind of also give out? Cause I'm sure there's a couple of people listening to this. Do you want to shout out any point people in any certain directions for your kind of podcast or anything? Oh well, yeah, you could do. I mean, you can find, uh, I do running camps and, and a podcast. It's all on a, a website called the way of the runner.com. Okay. Yeah. The way of the runner.com. I think you can kind of find me all the things I do on there. So yeah. The okay. Podcast, so. And, and, and I just got to say, you know, a big thank you because I have read your um, book, Running with the Kenyans, and I've read The Way of the Runner, and I've actually even listened to you. Um, you actually do your own audio um, version of um, uh, The uh, Rise of the Ultra Runner. Is that right? Yeah. 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 And uh, so, you know, it's a big privilege for me and an honor to, you know, have you on the on the podcast and and just to have met you like this it's it's a pleasure so thanks for coming on as well yeah maybe we can run one time when you're down in the southwest next time yeah i'll be back down there for sure thank you guys for listening to my show um my interview it's different isn't it because uh, usually i'm interviewing people so it felt kind of strange for me actually um, you kind of feel vulnerable I guess when you're opening up and uh, someone's asking you questions but it's good it's good to put yourself outside of your comfort zone um, I have done some other interviews about uh, the Southwest Coast Path I'm on uh, Ian Corliss's Talk Ultra and a few other podcasts again have a listen to those if you want to hear my voice more um, go and uh, check out uh, Darren and Finn's books uh, which uh, I'll just name them again the first is running with the Kenyans uh, and then you've got the way of the runner and the rise of the ultra runners and also go onto his website which he mentioned um, to go and have a look at his running camps 
guys um, thanks so much for listening and please if anybody is interested in remote coaching whether you're in Japan um, America Norway Australia New Zealand uh, India anywhere any runners worldwide who are interested in remote online run coaching go and check out my website um, I designed the website myself there are all my own uh, photos uh, put a lot of time into that uh, to make it um, authentic and uh, true to me and, and the services that I offer and uh, try to reflect my personality um, I work closely with runners um, helping them achieve goals uh, you know people who are out trying to set FKTs uh, you know uh, come to me for my expertise and um, people who want to finish 100 milers uh, you know uh, ultra marathons marathons people who want to um, improve their running technique find out about the mental side of ultra running uh, the nutritional side uh, logistics yeah everything i've got 20 years worth of experience please go and check out my website at www.christianultra.com and in the meantime um have a great week. Next week, I've got Damien Hall is uh, coming onto the show to talk about um, himself. And uh, I, I got loads of unique questions, actually. It's, it's a kind of an interview that uh, I'd say is pretty different to the others. I ask him um, about areas of his life which I've not heard of before um, in other interviews. So that's really worth tuning in for. And Damien's a really uh, nice relaxed person and you can see why he does so well in um, what he sets out to achieve so guys have a great week uh, please share uh, subscribe and uh, spread the word <laughs> about christian ultra thanks guys bye